0: Welcome to The Grindhouse, a talk show about RPG gaming, comics, movies, and pop culture. My name is JC, your host for the evening, and with me tonight are our usual uh, group of um, I don't Misfits. know. Oh, there you go. I was trying That's to think of
1: some
2: Oh, I like wells
0: All of them are cool. So, yeah, take your pick. Uh, with me tonight, I have my co-host uh, Pat O, G.M. Mike, Uh, Catherine, and um, our NASA mole, Terry Mixon. So let's go ahead around for introductions. Um, So I am JC. Uh, You can see me multiple places, but mostly Twitter, uh, trying to get myself canceled at uh, Grindhouse Media. And uh, also, if you want to see me rant about stupid stuff, you can go to my blog, The RPG Cultist, or it's rpgcultist.com. And uh, Pat.
2: Hi, my name is Paolo Sullivan. I host uh, podcasts. You can find me over at DrX2112 on Twitter.
1: All right, Terry. I'm Terry Mixon. I'm a science fiction author. You can find me on Amazon. You can also find my podcast, The Dead Robots Society, where we talk about writing and stuff every weekend on uh, whatever podcast video service you you use or on YouTube. All right,
0: awesome, Katherine.
3: Hi, I'm Catherine. Uh, I run Epi's Tome, which is on simplypf2e.com, and uh, I stream once in a while.
4: All
0: right, and last is uh,
4: Mike. Hi, uh, I'm GM Mike, and I uh, like to GM.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, did we did we freeze up again?
1: Yeah, the so. usual yep. culprits at freeze. You probably should like move the arrangement around and see if they unfreeze.
0: Yeah, I'll do that. But first, let's introduce uh, this episode. So this week, we will take another break from the Gygax 75 challenge and do what we do best, yammer on about gaming. Uh, this week, we will discuss um, RPG horror stories, or at least try to tell some. Uh, talk about the dark sun setting which has been getting a lot a little bit of negative press uh over the past few months um terry will talk about how to do a clever mystery when you're just not that clever and uh pat O will review a very spicy movie Silo. i like, i can't pronounce it solo solo but it's high. <laughs> damn it all right well anyway all of this in our usual sidetrack banter Um, And you can join in on the chat here, or send us an email at hate.mail at grindhouse.media if you have any questions or topics you want to discuss with us. Uh, And the usual, before we start, let me go ahead and shamelessly promote some of our stuff here. Uh, We do have a Patreon, so uh, we like money, so definitely uh, help us out. Uh, You can help us buy a blu-ray burner for our computer for another project that we're doing so uh you know that that's a thing uh you can again check us out on youtube which if you're checking us out here this is a completely meaningless link uh if you're watching us on twitch uh here's another meaningless link that we'll we'll show you uh you can buy us a coffee at uh coffee.com grindhouse media and the thing that i kept promising that i would put up and kept forgetting to do is our teespring site so the grindhouse.creator-spring.com uh, where you can find our logos from show us your crits uh alternative play and other projects that I thought were really cool and I do t-shirts of and never got off the ground so <laughs> check them out all right everybody so yeah let me let me try moving things around here to see if we can
3: one day this will start off good yeah well, I, remember,
1: lie.
0: I remember last time aha there we are look if i we'll do see it if like it stays seven. yeah all right so uh first up is rpg horror stories so one of the things that i kind of enjoy hearing and i don't know if it's just this the sadist in me or not but is other games that go horribly horribly wrong uh, you know games that are people run away from screaming or shaking their heads or just like oh my god i'll never go back to that game ever ever again uh, and this could be an experience from the game master uh to the player so i will i will just throw it out this is kind of an open discussion thing uh uh terry actually uh before we started you said that you had a um you had a bit of a an interesting story. I did,
1: but it, it wasn't in this whole grain that you were talking about where it was a bad experience. It was actually <laughs> a most excellent experience. Okay. Well, when, go ahead when and I share. was playing back in the 80s, there was uh, a game master that ran a Call of Cthulhu game using uh, Justice Inc. rules with his hero system. It was set in the 1920s, and he personally was a uh, former member. Well, he was basically a former Satanist. And not the hedonist kind, okay? He wasn't a hedonist. And um, he had a way of making everything creepier than it was actually written out to be. He had just this way with the the things he chose to focus on in descriptions of the scene and the way he spoke and the way he did it just, just made you feel like you had ice water running down your back. It was a very chilling experience.
0: All right, so uh, a very descriptive and creative Satanist. I mean, it's not a horror story, but definitely kind of a
1: cool well, story. Well, it involved horror. See, that's what I thought we were talking about when we started with You didn't say what kind of horror. Well, I mean,
0: I guess. It, no, but it, it, it definitely fits. So don't, you know, it, it was a it's a valuable story, Terry. Um, so I will go ahead next to a game that, my it, that's my fault um i'll probably try to leave out some details because i guess it just kind of shows my um my creativeness and my creativeness that can get me into deep trouble and i was actually surprised that i wasn't escorted out of GaryCon for this so Ooh. pat you might want to uh listen to this one so i had written a I had actually written an entire source book for a game called All Flesh Must Be Eaten. Uh, really? I did it back in the early two thousands. Um, I'm a big fan of black exploitation and just seventies exploitation movies in general. They were going to publish this. It was going to be called "I'm Going to Eat You, Sucker," which was going to basically break <laughs> away from their usual titles uh, of the book, but is and actually i it's pretty much it's on a hard drive somewhere never ever to be published or seen again because i would be beat up in alleys and canceled like within seconds of the material getting leaked or released all right so um i i have one favorite story that um i will i will definitely well it's it was titled uh ghetto holocaust which i know is a horrible horrible title but I'm just moving people around to see if I can unfreeze Pat here. Unfreeze Pat.
3: Come back, Pat.
0: Free Tibet. All right. Well, hopefully it will be, Pat will. Oh, Ooh, he's
3: gone completely.
0: He is gone. He probably just maybe, said maybe through. he
1: was not frozen because of anything other than he lost his signal.
3: <laughs> maybe. All right.
0: So we'll we'll see if he comes back. But anyway, uh, the, the story was just simply about. Um, something I think it was called Project Sunshine, and what it was was the the U.S. government using uh, Project MK Ultra to uh, experiment on people. And uh, what the, one of their targeted areas was this uh, was an area of uh, uh, housing in Chicago. Oh, there's Pat. Hold on, let's add him back in. There's Pat. Yay, there's Pat. Yay. Um So a long story short. Because I, I can go deeper down this rabbit hole, but I won't. <laughs> um, the player characters were your typical, uh, you know, exploitation and black exploitation characters, right? They're all NPCs, or not NPCs, but player characters. And I learned the huge lesson that you don't particularly give. Uh, how can I put it? Um, so, uh, Culturally insensitive white people, these particular roles. <laughs> <laughs> Did that people start doing voices? Oh, for trouble. people start doing voices. Yeah, that's started, where you get
2: in trouble. <laughs> yeah,
0: actually started doing body language.
2: Oh, boy. Body enough, language.
0: Yeah, they were like, you know, swinging their heart and shaking their heads and doing that, <laughs> like the snaps and all, which isn't, it's more 80s, but sure, it's... Um, but anyway, it got loud and obnoxious to the point where I had a couple of people. I saw a couple of people leave their games just because of how horribly this was going. It, <laughs> it finished because someone threw a, a Molotov cocktail and they dropped it on the party and everyone caught on fire and died before they even. So I guess uh, the the gods were with me at that point but i learned some valuable lessons uh at that particular game is that one yeah uh, that particular story is probably not good for conventions or anywhere (laughs) at at this point so um but i will give a positive to it is that right now uh that particular module and possibly a couple of others are in the hand of um a friend and actually i think pat you know uh um Gandalfina's uh I guess partner I, I guess we'll call it in polite company um who is actually going over it uh for kind of a, I I guess sensitivity editing because uh, there's a lot of good stuff there it just needs to not be how I originally. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> a, <laughs> but sure That I think, right, that's the one I can think of that was probably one of the most embarrassing and cringiest of things that I personally had done in uh, in gaming. All right. So that's mine. Anyone else? I, uh, you can go, go ahead,
4: Catherine. You can go.
3: Okay. Uh, so my horror story is not my fault. Um, but when I was in university, I was in a 5e game and we had like a lot of people in the game but usually it'd only be like four or five people would show up because you know we're university students we're busy and studying and everything like that and uh so we kind of had like in total around 12 people uh like in the game but you know only four or five people showed up uh one day everyone could show up and we didn't drop the game and so we ran it with 12 people and that was- that was a disaster and so now whenever somebody was like oh yeah i want to run a game with like 10 to 12 people i'm like no you don't (laughs) because what it turned into was like four groups of four people each because we didn't have patience to like wait for everybody to go So we just like kind of branch off into our own little group and go on adventures and once in a while shout out something that we're doing to the DM. And the DM will like respond with just like, excuse me, but what? Or like, sure, let's roll with it. And it was the most chaotic experience I ever had, but it was really memorable. Would never do it again. Would never recommend it, but definitely memorable. And makes me laugh thinking about it. I have wow, a that sounds.
4: Ex- uh, Go ahead. And I was just going to say that sounds completely uh, chaotic. I mean, it, <laughs> it sounds like it could be fun, but at the same time, uh, f- f- being a, a DM, that sounds like that'd be an absolute nightmare.
1: <laughs> I was a DM in exactly that situation back in the eighties. Uh, we, pl- I was in the army, and we played at the rec center. So you never knew who was going to show up. You never knew how many people were going to show up. And I was running a Star Trek, the role-playing game. And it was some kind of intrigue, diplomatic sort of thing. And I had at least 12 people. I think it may have been closer to 15. I'm not (sighs) sure. But I just started saying, okay, the Klingons, you guys over there that play Klingons, you guys have this information. Tell them their information in private. You guys, the Federation, you've got this information. Here you go, right here. And then I just started going around the room and integrating with people and telling them what was going on with what they were doing. And the groups were talking amongst themselves and the plot started developing without me being present for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing out of the corner of my ear. Oh, well, the Klingons are doing this. I'm like, they are. (laughs) what <laughs> the Klingons doing and you just the way to handle that kind of thing is you've just got to go with it you've just got to yeah. grab the chaos and you've got to run around the room like a madman and just keep throwing gasoline on the fire so that it just keeps growing and growing and That's exactly what happened. A wonderful experience for me as a game master it's one of my favorite memories of running a game
0: <laughs> wow I, you know actually I'm now that I'm thinking of it and I mean we still have time for everyone else to pipe in. So I was at a convention in New Jersey, and this is going back about four, oh, probably more than four or five years ago. But it was um, it was a convention called Metatopia, which was kind of a neat thing, and it, it ended in 2020 with COVID. But what it was was a convention that was mainly for game designers. And oh, what yeah. so the game designers designers would pay a premium but what the convention would do is set you up with, and depend on what level you paid in at, would set you up with people to tip, play test your game for feedback. Like, that's the reason they were there as players, was to, to test new games. Mm. Um, and at higher levels, there was a, um, a thing where they actually had a panel of well-known game designers. uh sit with you go over your game tell you how horrible it is and give you some advice on how to fix it so that was kind of fun because i actually had um uh cam banks um oh god who was i had someone from like hero games at the time oh yeah uh kenneth height was in that panel so i actually kind of got to um meet some uh, some cool people but anyway that's not the story there was open gaming at that convention so a friend of mine decided that there's nothing we wanted to play because it was all like these horrible, horrible games that no one was interested in. So she was like, all right, I'm going to run a samurai game. I'm really into Kurosawa nowadays, and I really just want to do this really hardcore samurai game. So we all agreed, and we opened it up to see if anyone else was interested in joining. And this one special individual joined uh who was kind of outside of our little core group which is fine i mean you know hey invite people to the table so on and so forth but well he was told that you know hey this is gonna be a serious samurai movie sort of you know karasawa like really um intense and probably really bloody game he you know he's like oh sure that sounds fun but i want to play a kinsu um the spirit foxes
3: uh oh katsune Kusane. yeah
0: what yeah he wanted to play one of those and wanted to have magic and even though the gm was she was like uh okay uh it may not be prevalent because this is not the story we're trying to tell but go ahead and so he was playing and everything he did was completely obnoxious and had no bearing in the story whatsoever and ultimately, he got really upset, and he goes, well, "I can't use my magic to affect anything." And he just like started throwing a tantrum. And he had a um, he had a, like a brand new MacBook at the desk because he was using it, I guess, for gaming. That sounds expensive. You know? Yeah, he picked this it up and expensive. threw it outside Ooh. the hallway, and it slammed into a wall. Oh my! And yes. other fun stuff <sighs> happened with it. And um, and then he got up, got up, picked it up, and then ran off crying. And it was it was weird because the game stopped right there. All we could do is just all look at each other in silence and awe of like, did that just happen? <laughs> and um, another lesson learned is that yeah, um, don't gatekeep, but sometimes you gotta. Uh, in yeah, order sometimes you to... gotta
3: kind of put your foot down a bit.
0: Yeah,
3: I think it's
1: appropriate, even though you you try it at conventions not to gatekeep. <clears throat> if there's a certain tenor to the game, and you explain it and say, "This is how it is," and somebody says, "But I want to play a kitsune," um, I'm sorry, but that doesn't fit the tone of the game. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, that's not the kind of character you can roll. That's not what you're. If that's what you want to play, you need to go find a different game to play in because that's not this one.
3: Unless you're, it's like, with this one, I could see it working if you were playing the kind of kitsune that is trying to blend in, hide, is dealing with, like, uh, like hunters, predators, yeah. stuff like that, and, like, the kind of darker tones that kitsune stories can sometimes have. I think that could work, but I don't think, like, a lighthearted kitsune yeah. with magic could work. Sadly, as a game master, one of the things you have to do
1: is remember that your purpose is to make the game fan, fun for everybody. If there is somebody that is making it unfun for everybody, then you get to be the bad guy. It's just the way it is. It's it's sad, but that's that's part of being a game master. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyone
0: else?
4: Uh, Pat or Mike? Do you have anything? Sure. I can I can tell a story. All right. Tell so what about James? A
1: story? Tell a story about James. We want to hear it.
4: <laughs> I I do have a story, and James is involved in it. Um, but all the other names will be omitted to protect the innocent and or the guilty. (laughs) So uh, this was a campaign I I ran a while back. Uh, This was for Dungeons & Dragons 3.5. I know it's a very divisive topic. For me personally, I didn't like the game system because it had the uh, potential to spin out of control so very quickly that somebody could get just a, a, a feat or a spell or another level in something and suddenly their character was absolutely game breaking.
1: Mm -hmm. And
4: uh, that was the part I didn't like about it. And uh, in this current group, there was two people that will remain nameless that uh, loved to try and find opportunities to make their characters um, uh, their maximum potential. And I'll just leave it at that.
1: Min maxers. Uh,
4: Well, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, Exactly. So uh, this game had been going on for about two and a half years. Um, We'd had people come in and out. At the time, we were at I think five people, and that's usually my comfort zone. I don't like, I definitely don't like playing with twelve. To to circle back to Catherine's story, Uh, five is usually my sweet spot. That's about as much as I can handle and still, you know, be able to to give everyone the attention they deserve. So another player decided to join, and at this point, like I said, we've been playing two and a half years. He said, "Can I, can I please join the group?" I'm like, "Well, I don't know." Everyone else was fine with it. I said, "Sure. Why don't you make a character?" Everyone is at 17th level now. Obviously, for people that don't know, that's pretty much the top of the uh, of the of the scale. You can't get much higher. Your 20th is is after that. You're in epic levels. So it's you're talking about a very powerful character. And he said, "Okay, what books, what resources can I use?" and i had been playing 3.5 for a long time now so i i knew i knew where this was going and i knew it was a loaded question (laughs) so i said core books only that's it player's handbook dungeon master's guide monster manual standard classes standard races end of story putting my foot down and he's he's like oh okay and then he came back and he said well do you can i pick um, one other thing from this splat book, it's a druid splat wow. book and it's called a shapeshifter. And I looked it up and I don't know if I missed sentences. Looking back, I'm not sure what happened. I looked it over and it seemed pretty benign. I was like, okay, druid shapeshifter. It's just a variant on the shape-shifting ability that druids normally get. So I said, sure, why not? You can pick that, you know, variant of, of the class. And uh, because other people that were playing the game had also had other variants from other splat books so i felt like it would be wrong for me to deny him that opportunity when other people in the game clearly were able to do that anyway he makes his character we start playing he came in just at the point where after two and a half years the party runs into the big bad evil guy after two and a half years of trying to find out who's behind all of these dastardly plots it turns yeah. out that it's they're they're coming up they're getting to the big bad evil guy and uh, I thought it would be um, somewhat since we are playing Dungeons and Dragons. I thought that I would throw the biggest, largest, uh, most challenging red dragon at the party and see, and see if uh, you know. I thought that would be a, a great ending to the to the uh, to the game. So we go into this battle. Everyone goes through initiative. We start battling. On the first round, uh, everyone does their thing. Pretty predictable. The new person who's playing the Druid says, I turn into a 12-headed Hydra. And everyone literally stopped in their tracks and looked at him and said, what? And after furious book reading and reviewing, he, yeah, he, the, the, according to the Splat book, that was an absolutely legitimate thing that he could do. And a uh, long story much shorter, I know I've already gone on for a bit. I'll sum it up by saying um, he single-handedly took out a red dragon in three rounds. The red dragon had i think close to 350 hit points and in three rounds he was able to kill it single handedly while the rest of the party basically stood and watched and uh that was the end of the game (laughs) and also also the end of the campaign
1: (laughs) that's that's the point where i as a gm your mileage may vary go wow that's very exciting we're not working out for the group. I'm sorry. Okay, kids, next week we'll do this over again. <laughs> yeah.
4: I, yeah. You know, in hindsight, we I, I should have done that. But, uh, but yeah, he was uh, basically the, the straw that broke the GM's back. And uh, that was pretty much the end of the campaign. <laughs> poor poor uh, James. James and uh, one other player that will remain nameless. They were both playing fighter types. And uh, one was a barbarian. I think, uh, James, you're playing a dwarf fighter and paladin
0: actually a paladin
4: and uh as soon as the battle went airborne they could do nothing they couldn't even roll an attack it was just like everything was happening above them they didn't have any missile weapons and it was just i felt bad because obviously i wanted i wanted everyone to at least have an opportunity to attack the dragon once so mike uh, we have a we have a question oh we do all right yeah sure
0: um was the dragon un? Was the red dragon unable to fly?
4: No, it did. It immediately uh, took off and flew into the air. And uh, I'm going back probably over a decade now. I don't know how uh, the druid was able to shapeshift and follow him, but I think he turned into they something else.
3: They probably had something that allowed them to transform a part of them, so they could be a twelve headed hydra with wings.
4: Yeah, I think it was something like that. And we actually went back and read through the black book, and I think. The way that he was using it wasn't quite correct. I think Uh-oh. there was there was uh, there was some rule ambiguity there that he kind of used in his benefit.
3: Rule <laughs> so, ambiguity is the worst. Yeah. What if I have this flat book?
4: Um, <laughs> I think he turned into a giant rock after after the dragon went airborne. He turned into like he turned in, he became Kirby. Yeah, he turned into this giant bird and. Uh, Anyway, it was it was just the most train like a rock.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I I thought (laughs) at first.
4: R O C, not R O C K. Uh, Yeah, it was probably one of the most anticlimactic battles that I've ever GM'd in all of my
3: life.
0: (laughs) So, so Mike, we actually have, without naming names or who it is, we actually have another member of that faded campaign in the uh, in the chat. So,
4: oh. Oh, we do well. uh, Maybe they'll recognize the the game, Uh, but if I won't, I won't reveal them. I'll just say welcome, and uh, if I give you any flashbacks, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) So, somebody asked in the chat: Was the Paladin lawful angry?
4: (laughs) You have to ask the Paladin. That's what I'm doing. I'm looking at James as I ask. Oh
0: no! I, I was actually playing a Hammer of Moradin, one of the. What do they call them? Specialty classes or premier classes? What 3.5 had those like little add-on classes that were kind of like second editions kits, where you could say, "Hey, I have a paladin, but now I'm a hammer of um, Hammer of uh, Mordin, and I have all these other abilities." But anyway, yeah, that was the character, and he was dwarven, so yes, always angry, but. Um, basically just didn't get to finish out his career because the final game was just like a spectator sport and it was probably an entertaining spectator
1: sport, but <laughs> you know how that goes
0: and the before worst uh, that,
1: the worst way so, that could have ended is the the player kills the red dragon and then it falls on the rest of the party killing everyone else <laughs> <laughs>
4: No, actually, Mike,
0: didn't that game also have another member's special falling rules or no?
4: No, was... I didn't. I didn't incorporate the special falling rules in that game. But okay, uh, no, the, he uh, well, I mean, I, I guess, James, do you want to go into that real quick. Do you want to explain it? Because I think that's kind of humorous.
0: Um, well, actually, I don't know the mechanics of the rules. But... Oh, I,
4: I can explain it to you really quick. I'll make sure I'll make it brief. He essentially okay. decided that D&D wasn't realistic enough. So he, uh, using math, he incorporated what it would actually take to fall. So he actually used real falling rules like you know, you fall 30 feet per second per second till you reach terminal velocity of whatever it is. I think it's like 200 miles an hour or something like that. And then he was able to apply the damage. So instead of falling 20 feet in D&D and taking 2D6, in his rules, you would fall literally like break your leg, crush your spine, (laughs) end up with a concussion. You know, it was, it was legitimate, serious falling damage, which uh, when you put, when you have all of these heroic components and then suddenly have something that is, you know, stationed to realism, it just, it's very jarring. And uh, it was, (laughs) it was an interesting component that didn't live very long. (laughs) Did the, did drag, uh, the dragon did some vanish stop time. Yes. Yes. One of our, one of our people in chat said the uh, dragon did indeed cast a time stop in order to try and actually get away because he was (laughs) taking such a savage beating. Uh, I didn't, I didn't say that in the beginning, the first round, he was actually legitimately trying to attack the party the second and third round he was just trying to run away because the first yeah. <laughs> cuz the first attack on him did uh something like 125 points of damage like took a third oh of his God. health in one attack yeah. so he did what most you know intelligent creatures would do <laughs> so anyway yeah so it, was,
0: it, 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 it i mean honestly it was a good campaign and just unfortunately it Kind of got, uh, yeah. Three, it got three point five. Yes, <laughs> it did. Right. It sure did. All right. So before we move on, Pat, do you have any uh, any wonderful stories to tell?
2: Oh, Moving. it he looks like he's dramatic. trying to speak, but nothing yeah. is happening. Are you serious? Nothing. Now,
1: now we can hear you.
2: Yeah. Oh, we, I said you. You. I, I'm good for this one. I mean, yeah, I got shit, but it's okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we I like gonna... Mike's story. I want to go out on a, go out on a high note, Mike. There you go.
4: <laughs> all right.
2: All right.
0: So we are going to go to our next topic um, and talk about um, a role playing game that was so speaking a second edition. I'm sure everyone has their favorite setting because that's when TSR pretty pretty much went full bore crazy on releasing splat books and box sets. So, I mean, second edition gave us not only a redo of Greyhawk, a redo of the the Forgotten Realms, uh, they also integrated a lot more Dragonlance. Uh, They gave us um, Mistara back again. Uh, Trying to think, there was one more set. Oh, Birthright was another one council of worms so i you know and i think there's a few others that tsr just decided at the time to go hey we like money and (laughs) um, just started publishing they actually were published so from what i understand they were actually publishing so much that their quality control went out the window because they were trying to get like these monthly quotas done And, and the writers and game designers were just basically making up stuff and and putting it in the books but The one setting that is dear to my heart and i'm just going to do a little screen share here Uh, let's see here yes i understand let's proceed uh and we'll do window and
3: there we go
0: oh actually no that's right i didn't even mention planescape which was another two planescape was well done though and i i think with um yep oh yeah uh alquizim yep that mastic wow hollow world i didn't look
3: uh, at hollow world at all but that sounds cool
0: yeah i actually have the box set behind me it's um Ooh. it's it's it, it was interesting um Mastika was cool actually i wanted to steal some stuff from Mastika for another game i was going to run at one point because it's basically um aztec mayan culture so and it, i think i don't know if it was it's was it always set in the forgotten realms can anyone answer that, either on chat or uh, in our
3: panel? I had no idea. Okay. My group didn't I... really pay attention to uh, proper settings. Okay,
0: but anyway, yeah, Maztica was it was interesting. It had a lot of um, a lot of cool stuff. But Dark Sun, yes. So since I'm sharing this on the screen, so Dark Sun was actually a very it was interesting for the times. And what makes me kind of laugh about those who now just want to get rid of it and ban it and call it problematic and everything, it actually was, part of it was kind of environmental activism. Uh, not, yeah, yeah, activism. I keep, uh, one time I was talking <laughs> to my wife and I said Activision and she oh. was going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, um, oh yeah, Ravenloft too, damn, all these, um so, Dark Sun. So, let's to give a high-level view of Dark Sun. The, the world of Athas was actually once this pleasant world where there was green grass and there was trees and forests and rivers and all sorts of things. But magic users, um, who later became known as Defilers, uh, started using the life of the planet in order to cast magic to give themselves a more powerful magic, uh, you know, leg up. And ultimately, they they sucked the world dry, to the point where it just became this horrible, horrible wasteland. And when I talk to, talk about activism, um, kind of most of the setting was really dealing around um, this is going to happen if you know we keep exploiting the resources of our world, right, uh, uh, of Earth so there was a there was a message behind it which i guess got lost in later generations but dark Sun is probably the closest you're going to get to true swords and sorcery within um D, right this was very it was it was deadly uh it there was no happy-go-lucky anything so to kind of give you an example of um of what so like actually in this in this picture here if you look over here this like bald-headed guy with this weird looking axe so there was no metal uh first of all it was stone obsidian weapon like if you had a metal weapon it was it was something special that probably 80 people would try to kill you for having because it just metal was incredibly rare people use bone uh to make weapons but the little bald-headed guy was called a mule and part of the eugenics programs of the Sorcerer Kings, who were the leaders of the uh, of Tyr, uh, the nation that it focuses on, uh, there was uh, there was a there's, I think, two or three Sorcerer Kings, and they basically had enslaved people in their giant city states. Um, but anyway, uh, do, part, part of the eugenics was to create a slave race of people who could do work and not tire or can lift heavy weights and those were called the mules uh which were basically a variant of like they're almost a half dwarf they were like dwarf and human hybrid and uh, they couldn't reproduce they can only be created uh so you have mules the halflings of the world's uh halflings of the world were cannibals most of them who kind of were to (laughs) <laughs> yeah who uh, who rode dinosaurs out in uh, out in the wastelands although everything was kind of a wasteland the elves were kind of cool the, the elves were modeled after uh, Middle Eastern like Saracen and nomadic culture they basically rode the wastes um and lived in nomadic camps and and had all the cool like you know uh, turbans and and various clothing of, of that culture uh, there were thrakreen, uh, which are the the praying mantis people who actually love to eat elves. <laughs> uh, that that was kind of one of their things. And you had your humans. Uh, I think you had half ogres, if I'm not mistaken, in the game, and uh, obviously humans. But it was a setting where it was very much a fight against keeping these, um, uh, you know, keeping the sorcerer kings at bay because they had these enforcers called Templars, who would go through the city-states and just drag you away to like prison, slavery, or death, if you even question what they were doing. Um, there were Druids who were trying to restore the world, but they couldn't quite, uh, they were failing uh, big time. Uh, magic was pretty much outlawed. Uh, there were defilers still, but they were probably either under the employ of the Sorcerer King or they were apostates uh, out in, you know, hiding out in the world. But since there was a lack of magic, the world compensated with it with um, psionics. So when you created a Dark Sun character, you actually start at second level because first level was too wimpy uh, <laughs> in order to start with. And ultimately, um, you also started with a, se- a second level psionic discipline. Uh, in the game. So pretty much everyone had the opportunity to have a psionic power. Also, they fixed psionics in second edition, so it wasn't the nightmare of first edition, if anyone remembers that. Um, And it was a game about survival. Water was impossible to find. Um, Everyone was tribal and trying to kill each other. And you either sucked up to the Sorcerer Kings in order to get ahead or you were enslaved or you lived out in the desert like a vagabond um you know so that's that's kind of the essence of it uh one of the things i also loved about this setting and um i think with someone to stop sharing because i think when i bring i have the way this works is i have to bring up um these screens individually but one of the artists who did most of the work for dark sun was an artist called brahm uh Brahm also did a lot of the artwork for I believe heavy metal magazine and uh he also did a lot of work for Deadlands the uh the Western weird West RPG uh back in the day but the artwork on these are beautiful they are completely beautiful I'll I'll go ahead and just share one more here and uh, oh yeah definitely Brahm kicks major ass um, <laughs> I I will agree with that 100 percent. Uh, the only only other person who could really like make this sing would be um, Simon Bisley. Like if Simon Bisley did things for Dark Sun, uh, that would also be amazing. But here's just another uh, here's another uh, piece from Dark Sun. So there's a thrakreen, a mule, and uh, uh, some other creatures. They are fighting, but it was. It's, it's a fun setting. I mean, that's all I can say, but a lot of people either just don't like it because, and I'm, I'm even going to say that people who aren't as touchy about the setting, um, still just really don't find it a game they like to play, uh, because it, it does, it does deal with some themes that if you're into high fantasy, you're, you're definitely not going to want to do, um, here's here's the box set it's a really nice box set too um it comes with like all kinds of player cards and uh the books and maps and so you know i know i kind of crapped on tsr's uh, settings uh during the the 2e era and there are some that are really bad but dark sun is definitely is worth the money if you can find a set on ebay for you know less than a hundred dollars it's um, it, it is fun to set up. You know, honestly, I now that it just makes me want to go. Yeah, in the future, we should probably do a a one shot live stream of uh, an actual play of Dark Sun. But that'd be know, cool. Yeah, it, it might be. Uh, no, definitely. Um, but that is Dark Sun in a nutshell. It's a game that, it's a setting that unfortunately never really caught on. I mean, they did a ton of splat books. There's adventures for it. There's splats. There's all kinds of things for the game. It made a bit of a
3: resurgence in 4E, I think.
0: It did. It came back in 4E. Um, I actually own the the 4E stuff too. Uh, My only issue with the 4E stuff is that this is when Wizards of the Coast started going against the grain. So at one point, when you bought a, a game, a campaign setting, you had certain races, I'll I'll use the old term races here, that were um, for the setting, right? Uh, So like Thrycreen, Mules, things like that. But that was it. There was no other. And then suddenly when 4E came out, they're like, "Eh, why can't all the races in, in all our books across all our settings be in each of the campaign settings? so they did dark sun with tieflings and all these other things and really try to pigeonhole them in and make up reasons why they were there you know dragonborn it's like why would there be dragonborn in dark sun there's like no dragons in dark sun um but they're just
3: like lizard people in general
0: yeah so they they really kind of that's i mean 4e i won't get it 4e is another episode i think where i kind of say i really liked 4e not as D, but as a game but that's uh that's neither here nor there but 2e was definitely a um a good yeah half ogres half ogres were uh, part of the race uh the races that the right were really cool to play especially if you got one who had like a cool psionic power uh that that could just screw up people's days um and halflings too were fun i mean who who doesn't want to play like a cannibalistic halfling who's wearing a like a skull on his head and uh you know running around with like a weapon made of his uh the people he just ate you know so yeah it's,
4: uh... that uh, that really d- redefined second breakfast i guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah no they weren't the, they weren't the curly toad hobbits or curly haired toad hobbits they were um yeah, I don't think Tol- Tolkien would ever write... They, they would be the orcs of the hobbits, I think, if Tolkien wrote about... Uh,
1: Sounds about like a grimmer son. fantasy version of John Carter of Mars.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's one of th- me of uh, Mad Max to a degree.
0: Oh, yeah. there's. I mean, there's a lot of elements of that, and and you could play the game a lot of different ways you could play it as the like environmental activist like oh i need to save athos from you know, the final destruction when you know the last of the resources are taken or you could play it very mad max you know you, you're just like this nomadic uh, group that out in the wastelands trying to survive you can play it as john carter because i mean again there are there religion is is questionable there's not a lot of religion but there are cults there are things that uh, you know you can rail against or join i would even say it kind of even has uh, almost a dune feel to it yeah uh to, to it as well um you know uh, it's but... hard to
3: worship a god when you know your world's in hell so i guess uh, cthulhu is a lot more appealing
0: yeah well also the um the sorcerer kings were gods well in their minds so you you did worship the sorcerer kings and they did have templars and it gets really interesting there's a few novels out there that that were written for dark sun that kind of give a better thing and if you go on youtube and search you can find some uh some good people who actually get into it really well in like a series of videos and talk about it uh, a lot more in depth but i just i wanted to mention it because it is a really cool setting uh you know i know it's out of print uh, I'll, I'll, no wait actually i think you can get some of the books on drive Through rpg if you kind of want to give money
2: to wizards of the coast and get yeah. reprints uh, I, those... i've got the i've got the reprints from it okay
0: yeah, yeah. so um, you can still get it although like i said it's not particularly something that uh that you know a lot of people get excited about these days but
2: did they have it did they have a, a different kind of gameplay mechanic where the um the mod like the the box set, was more linear of what you had to do i feel like when i was looking at it that it wasn't as um there was like cards that you had to go through or something that kind of stated like this happens first and It it really, it it, it holds your hand, I feel like, that initial adventurer.
0: So, like, these cards here? Maybe, yeah. That just, I mean, these are just kind of, they're player aids. But um, I think ultimately, and again, um, people online, and uh, uh, Rachel, good night. Uh, I'm very happy you were able to join us. Thank you. Um, Good night, Rachel. We, but, yeah, I think the the first set was very much a, kind of a railroady, uh just to kind of get you into it but later on they did definitely broke out into um a lot more uh variations of, of of gameplay but I think initially yeah, it was kind of in this very forced very early TSR sort of writing where um you know everything was like get aboard the railroad but it's been a while since I've actually read the uh the initial box set I'm just going off of like my fun experiences as a GM and player with the, with the setting, but uh, Second Edition is also cool too. Actually, I'm going to be running a Second Edition campaign uh, next month uh, for some friends who I usually play in their game, and uh, Second Edition is definitely interesting. So it was it was basically a Satanic Panic game. Right. So if you look through the materials, there's no demons, there's no gods, there's avatars of gods, but there are no gods. Um, And uh, but the one thing that's driving me crazy is initiative. So they went to a D10 instead of a D20, because if you remember, AD&D was a D6 and pretty much like the old school, you roll and one side would take it and the other side wouldn't. Uh, go first, and so on and so forth. But second edition went to a D10, which apparently Gary Gygax had said was the way that he would do it in his home games. Um, And what you would do is you could either do one of two things. You could just each side roll a D10. Whoever got the lowest went first. That's easy. The way you would do it if you did individual initiative is everyone would roll a D10. Then they would actually have to add their either casting speed or their weapon speed to that number with like several other modifiers that you had to do based on the time that uh, you were actually doing that combat maneuver. So every, and, but that initiative would stick across the board. However, it was just a ton of math to figure out who was going to be attacking when and so on and so forth. So uh, that's the one thing that I'm really looking for um some house rules out there in the world to to make that uh, experience uh, that initiative system a little bit easier to swallow but that's that, that's all I have on Dark Sun uh any 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 comments feedback um whimsical I, stories songs
3: I ended up uh looking into Dark Sun a couple of years ago, because I was going into a 4e game, it didn't pan out. Uh, but it wasn't set in Dark Sun; it was set in like a kind of uh, planar crossroads kind of thing, where like people from different universes would kind of be pulled together in one little location. And so I wanted to make a Dark Sun halfling, and that was a lot of fun to research and uh, play around with and that was my uh, exposure to their
0: son yeah no it's it's definitely an interesting setting and uh you know like I said if anyone out there has a chance to pick up the box set or get the reprint uh, definitely do so and uh now I'm just seriously consider maybe doing like a one-shot actual play live stream so we'll see how that pans out but <laughs> Before I continue rambling on, because we have two more segments here. So, Terry, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, so, basically, mystery for dummies, I think, or something to, like that.
1: Well, it's one of the things, I, I selected this as a topic because one of the things you run into as a game master is you've got to try to make, if, if you have a clever villain, you've got to set up something that sounds clever. But sometimes you don't feel that clever. In fact, sometimes you're not that clever. And there are ways that you can get around it, and I wanted to bring it up as a topic. The way I always did it with mysteries is the key to good mystery is the twists and the reveals that go along with it. And if you plan ahead in the mystery saying, I've got these couple of twists that are going to change the meaning of everything that had come before, and a couple of reveals where key information is revealed, you can seem more clever because you figured out the twist that the players didn't see coming ahead of time and you're ready to lay it out when the time comes. And th- that's really it. It's just you've got to a little bit of pre-planning and having those key moments in mind that you could just drop the card down saying this changes it all. Boom, there <laughs> you go.
0: So as as so how would a how would a game master use the,
1: that technique? I mean, well, let's say one of the games that you're running. I, I'm not going to pick any one in the specific, but you, it tends to lead from encounter to encounter. You you pick up a bit of information here from one character. You pick up some information here to the other character. It's a bit of a of a, a grab bag because the characters can go out of order for what you're expecting. But there's going to be one piece of information somewhere in what they're gathering that you twist the meaning of. You find they find something and. Find out that this NPC was actually something different than what they thought, and that sends them scurrying along a new path. And they go, oh, how clever is that? That's a big twist!" And off they go pursuing new things.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think if anything, you're probably referencing two of the games that you're in with me, uh, just because the the writing for that system tends to be very, also very railroady. I think maybe they take a, a name from uh they take a cue from uh old tsr but and actually just said just pathfinder so uh uh, both pathfinder games (laughs) that terry and i play in they they are pretty much a go to station one get information go do something go to station two get information go do something i mean they work and they've they've been fun but ultimately actually no and mike plays in one of those games as well so You know, it's. Uh, but I'm hoping after the module in the game that I play with Mike and Terry that I'm going to just leave module itself and and go into just more something freeform. More, yeah, something more freeform because it's, or at least something that I'll structure uh, and not just make up or anything, but just you know, uh, just something a lot more than go here, go there, go here, go there. Yay,
1: you you finish well. Thinking of the game that we just played on Tuesday, we were in a city and we were wandering around and doing things and picking up rumors and information that was true and or not true about the environment that we were in. And you could have played up certain aspects of those and changed the flavor of what we were looking into by how you emphasized what we were finding.
0: Yeah, well, that that whole thing about the holy tree and all that, I just made that up. Because I just wanted to mess with one of our players. Cause I just love doing stuff like that to that guy. But anyway, uh all right, well, cool. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it's just it's always good to just get ideas or or just get understanding of things, uh, especially just baking it into your RPG game. So I guess that'll bring us down to our last segment. Um, so Pat, shall I run the trailer first?
2: Sure, let's do it.
0: All right, let's let's do it. So I'm going to go here. We need to have our cheesy opening so cheesy opening away.
2: concessa dal mondo esterno siete fuori dai confini di ogni legalità nessuno sulla terra sa che voi siete qui per tutto quanto riguarda il mondo voi siete già morti noi fascisti siamo i soli veri anarchici naturalmente una volta che ci siamo i dello Stato infatti la sola vera anarchia è quella del potere
3: colei il cui deretano sia giudicato il migliore venga ammazzato all'istante.
0: Please tell us what the hell we just got. So if that
2: trailer trailer doesn't give it away, there's a lot of shit-eating in that movie. Um, So last week, J.C. brought up Caligula. And um, I don't know how familiar our audience is with Caligula. But it's a kind of uh, very expensive porn that was... um, I always thought it was directed by Bob Guccione, but I know that there's more to it than that. Uh, the guy that, the guy that kind of, uh, f- the financier of Penthouse magazine, but anyway, what Caligula is, is a historical piece, uh, about the Roman empire kind of with, with porno in there. Salo is kind of in the same vein, but, um, also so very, very different. So, all right. So Salo or 120 days of Sodom was released in various places at various points, of 1975 and 1965 it was directed by Pierre Paolo Pasolini and based on the 120 days of Sodom by Marquise de Sade. The film focuses on four wealthy corrupt Italian libertines in the time of the fascist republic of Salò during World War II. The libertines kidnap 18 teenagers and subject them to four months of extreme violence, sadism, sexual and psychological torture. The film explores themes of political corruption, consumerism, authoritarianism, nihilism, morality, capitalism, totalitarianism, sadism, sexuality, and fascism. Salo has been banned in several countries because of its graphic portrayals of rape, torture, and murder uh mainly of people thought to be younger than 18 years of age the film remains banned in several countries and sparked numerous debates among critics and censors about whether or not it is constituted uh as pornography due to its nudity and graphic depictions of sex i definitely think that this movie is worth a watch at least once um i've seen it once I have no desire to see it again. I actually bought the Criterion edition. So Criterion has done a release of the film, both on Laserdisc, for those that remember those Laserdiscs, and uh, also Blu-ray. And I own the Blu-ray. I watched it with a buddy of mine, and then I left it at his house. (laughs) 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 And who knows? I'm sure he watched it with someone and then left it at their fucking house. And that Blu-ray (laughs) is just making the rounds. So uh, this is a movie that at least arguably has its artistic merits. There's a lot of really nasty stuff in this movie and uh i i could not go into detail without giving an appropriately long-winded trigger warning list uh it is not as streamlined or slick as bob gucci caligula but it's also really not nearly as pornographic as well uh it's slick and depraved sure but not titillating at least not for normal people. Um, And I'm not going to kink shame anyone on this show, but rest assured, if you find yourself fapping off the solo, you don't need me to tell you that you're into weird shit. Um, There's several shit-eating scenes, which are uh, indicated by the trailer, and uh, lots of murder, lots of rape, lots of sexual abuse done by those in power to youths. It wears its message, its distrust of authority on its sleeve, and therefore reaches greater philosophical heights than Caligula but deeper depths of depravity as well. So um, just to kind of, those are my notes. So just to kind of talk about this thing. I I mean, I don't know if anyone's familiar with uh, Marquis de Sade's 120 Days of Sodom, but it's it's basically the same story as that. And that is, in that book, you have, uh, I think a member of the the head of the military, the head of the church, the head of uh, a judge. So it's like a judge, a general, a pope, and a, a king or something lock themselves in a castle to escape the black death of europe and so they lock themselves in this castle and they bring with them four prostitutes and a whole bunch of uh, youngsters and the book just kind of describes all these sadistic terrible things that they do uh, in the name of exploration of human limits and all this stuff and of course sadism is named after marquis decides. so i mean he was kind of the, the the grandfather of that movement and this book was considered the manual so this movie is a uh is a recreation of this book only instead of using you know the middle ages of europe it uses the backdrop of uh nazi occupied europe you know which i guess is fitting to a certain extent and also uh explores the same themes so while it's it's you know i know with the whole grindhouse thing we're we're talking about doing like pornographic stuff and this is a very sexual movie but like i said it's not necessarily titillating and uh it it approaches the use of sexuality uh for philosophical means and an exploration of why people in power tend to seem to get off on abusing those without it and um you know, like I said, I think it's something that everybody should watch once, maybe. <laughs> and, and, that's and then it. leave it at somebody's house? Really, leave, yeah. it, at some, leave it at your buddy's house, yeah.
4: <laughs> well,
0: you so, know, and the and the one thing that I notice, um, especially within certain communities, is that they always sing the praises of, like, you know, or always bring up the Marquis de Sade in, in kind of a romantic, a romanticized sort of way. And the man was horrible like honestly if you actually look at some of the exploits of what he's actually done um not i i can romanticize any of that you know so uh i just i just find it interesting when certain people start talking about the marquis de sade that it's just it's so romanticized and it's like no, uh, <laughs> uh, no, please, you know, please read your, uh, you know, please read your history or please read your, you know, at, at least uh, write-ups of some of the things that uh, were done. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm,
2: I'm not a historical expert on him, and but I, I would say if there's one thing from my limited understanding of uh, him and his role in the scene is that he seemed to for when he came up, for when he came along in human history, he definitely pushed the conversation of what human sexuality is forward, right oh, Like yeah, he, he expanded the perimeters of what we're into and why we're into it and what is arousing. And some of those things are negative, right? Some of those things are things that culturally we shun for good reason, you know, don't get me wrong. But um, I, I think that as uncomfortable as a conversation is to have, sometimes we need to have it. And it for for, for, a, uh, a f- for the um, for the sake of philosophical debate, right? Sometimes we have to talk about, we have to explore topics that make us uncomfortable. I think that's what this movie does. And, you know, it's definitely an art house film. It's way more art house than Caligula. Although, like I said, my understanding of Caligula was completely changed. 30 seconds before this episode started with you talking about the different cuts of it, which I didn't even know was a thing.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. There was uh, so again, just going into Caligula and I'm not sure if any of our audience or anyone uh, on the panel has actually seen the movie, but there are two versions of it. Um, it was done in, uh, it was done in the seventies with a very, um, a very well-known cast. You had Helen Mirren, Ryan, you McDowell. Had Ryan McDowell, Peter O'Toole,
2: um, oh God, there was one other person that Malcolm McDowell Ri right? McDowells
1: Malcolm McDowell yeah, yeah,
2: fucking fright night.
1: <laughs> Sorry. I get them confused sometimes
2: <laughs> no, it's not <all> good <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so
0: I mean you had a you had a a top end cast that um try, tried to do something it's still I think it's its regular release was still rated R, but only because there was a lot of sexual content to it and uh adult was that,
2: fisting scene
0: well that was i don't know if that was actually in the r version or not it oh, may that, have been dude, it.
2: that's the scene i remember on the guy's wedding night yeah the he sticks um, his hand in the lard and then yeah,
0: yeah. I, I still remember that but there were certain parts that were added in so for example one of one of the major um uh, uh, this just totally went down a, a different rabbit hole. Uh, it was just like, Hey, dark sun D and D. But uh, long story short is that. There was so- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks Pat. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but there was like the, the infamous orgy scene that I think everyone always talked about uh, who's seen it, because that's one of the most striking visually Uh, interesting things is basically it's a circus and or bacchanalia but in the R version or in the non Bob Guccione cut um, they show a lot of the the devices and things like that but it's cut away and you even see like shadows of things happening but you don't see physical things happening and then Bob Guccione went in there and just decided to do with body doubles and everything else uh I I'm sure he called enhancing the scenes with the um the, the pornography content of it. I mean he was the he was I think he owned Penthouse
1: or he was yeah. he owned Hustler uh, didn't he was, 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 no, was Larry no, it's not Flint. that's Tilia plant Never mind yeah. Yeah.
2: Penthouse was Guccione. I mean but that that film operates under the guise of uh it was it was a historical depiction of Rome. Yeah, when rome was like that supposedly so i mean that's kind of it's not that it's it's like you know a really sexy wild west movie where they're all dirty cowboys (laughs) fucking in the stables and shit it's like it's rome and you're doing a movie about caligula it's good it's it's probably more or less historically accurate i'd think you know same and and i'd say
0: no no you are you are oh no i didn't mean to interrupt you i was saying but yeah it it was very historically correct um Caligula did actually have an affair with his sister. Uh, he did have an affair with his horse, who then after the horse died, elevated to a God. Um, the horse was a member of the Senate. Yeah, the horse was a member. Oh no, he elevated himself to a God. And yeah, the horse was a member of the Senate. So I mean, the the man was definitely Looney Tunes. Um,
4: the, so uh, the one of the things I do remember is a quote from Helen. Uh, Marin, uh, about when asked about the movie, she, her, I, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think her quote was: it's an irresistible um, mixture of art and genitalia. <laughs> <As> I think, <laughs> I think, wrong. is her quote. <laughs> Which that that quote has always stuck with me because I just I find it hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound irresistible, right there. Yeah. When,
1: when you start doing your porno podcast, you should definitely hunt for the Wild Wild West one. Go for it.
0: <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, that that's that that's kind of uh, that's frightening. But anyway, off the topic of, uh, of pornography because we just went probably from a hey we're uh, ex- we went from non explicit to explicit to like whatever is above. Yeah. Thanks
1: for the large <laughs> reference that took us right over the edge. <laughs>
0: but anyway, I
1: think that kind of
0: wraps us up. So I think next, so we are going to be taking a break, uh, but we will be returning in two weeks uh, to finally get through the GyGax 75 challenge. You know, it, I, I hate, I hate to sound, I don't want to be negative about it, but it's almost like it was the greatest idea in the universe. Like a couple of months back. Now it just kind of feels like ah,
1: oh, gotta finish. Now it's an thing. obligation.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we'll return to that. Uh, Pat will uh, have another uh, interesting movie, and uh, we'll we'll definitely build out a, a, a decent uh, list of um, of topics to talk about. So, with that said uh i'm jc like i said you can find me on twitter at um at grindhouse media uh actually i think i put it in my um yeah i put it in my sign down there um also you can go to rpgcultist.com uh to see my blog where i've ranted about things i've actually bought an ai uh article writing program to write articles for me But I actually do say in the thing that I am doing that because it's it was an experiment. I wanted to see, I got it for 30 bucks off of AppSumo and it was like, oh, cool. This way I can have a blog going every week. And obviously, guess what? I didn't post every week anyway, even with the AI. So unless there's an AI who knows to basically write it and send it to my WordPress Um, it, nothing got done, but, uh, if you kind of want to see my, my truth, my, my, uh, the ones I wrote where I talk about X cards and other things like that, um, definitely you can check it out. Uh, if you, uh, if you want to see me put post AI written reviews of movies, then you can check it out as well, but, uh, that's it. And I'm going to pass it on over to, uh, Terry.
1: What do you, I'm Terry Mixon. I write science fiction. You can find me on Amazon. If you want to listen to the Dead Robot Society writing podcast, you can find it at youtube.com slash podcast. All right. Awesome. Catherine.
3: Hi, I'm Catherine, uh, and I run Epi's uh, Tome of Comprehension, and you can check me out on Twitter at EpiTheTome.
2: Sweet. Um, Pat uh my is pedo you can check me out on twitter at dr x2112 i just realized that that is currently friends only because i'm switching jobs so don't look me up there because you're not gonna see shit however i do have a podcast several podcasts that drop every week one of which on wednesdays we talk weird it's paranormal conspiracy occult podcast and mr terry nixon will be on an upcoming episode so, I promise I might not to be back here next from week.
1: From NASA, okay, I don't know. I don't know that I actually.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we, we we get his we get his hot take on the Van Allen meteor belt and how we got through that because I'm still not entirely sure how we got through the Van Allen belt, but I'm sure Terry Mixon's going to break it down for us.
0: <laughs> All right, and and Mike, want to say good night?
4: Uh, hi, my name's Mike, avid gamer. Uh, good night. All right, awesome. So, <laughs> I how humble here. Mike is. Hey, <laughs> Mike. Hey.
3: I'm Mike. All right. Play and games.
0: I, I know I have an outro here somewhere. Where's my outro as I talk about? It? Oh, screw it. I'm just going to find a <laughs> random outro and and play
4: it. So here we go.